Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It's Carmen. I'm back, and I missed you so much. So I'm so thankful for my colleague, Peter Kapsner. So thankful for our producer, Paul Perot. And with us this week, our intern, summer intern, Sam. So good morning to each of you and all of you and for everyone listening this morning. So uh, we have arrived at that point uh, in in the summer in my family that we call calendaring. So we are now calendaring. And as you are calendaring, I want you to put down on your calendar that this coming Sunday, June the 27th, uh, at 7 p.m. Central, we're going to have our very first Conversations with Carmen Ask Anything live stream on Faith Radio's Facebook and YouTube channels. So if you've, um, you know, you've had a question in the last couple of weeks or over the course of months or one just pops into your mind at the last minute, um, I want to hear from you. I want to visit with you. I want to eyeball you. Uh, and so um, this coming Sunday night on June the 27th, 7 p.m. Central, first ever Conversations with Carmen. Ask anything live stream. You can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. So good morning. Good morning. We're going to cover um, just a quick handful of headlines here this morning to get us going. Let's be praying for the people um, in North Carolina this morning as they prepare for the arrival of Tropical Storm Claudette. This has already been a very deadly storm. I want to be praying for those families and communities across Alabama. Um, At least 12 people in Alabama died over the weekend um, as a result of this storm and um, and a couple people from Tennessee who were traveling as well. So let's be, you know, let's have our hearts be going out to and our prayers arising for and certainly be prepared to respond with relief efforts for you know, our neighbors in the Southeast. A a little further away, um, so this is news out of Afghanistan. The Taliban uh, has entered two cities in Afghanistan as the U.S. withdrawal continues. Um, And really, you know, I just think that we're going to see more and more headlines like this. We've talked about the reality that this is what's going to be coming um, as the United States withdraws from Afghanistan. And so let's let's be aware of le- this. Let's be uh, praying for folks there as well. If you missed it in golf, John Rahm won the U.S. Open by a single stroke in a really dramatic fashion. And if you need a feel-good video, a Father's Day feel-good video, when he takes his little infant son, I mean, who is, I mean, little, little itty bitty, like when he takes his infant son on Father's Day in his arms at the end of the round and carries him, you know, to where he signs his card. It's just so sweet. So his dad was there as well. Um, little, uh, little highlight for Father's Day if you missed it. And the Paralympic trials are taking place right now in Minneapolis. So if you're listening in the Twin Cities today, I want you to consider this an opportunity for grace and education and hospitality. We are people who um, believe in the value of life and every life. And so this is a great opportunity for us to 
demonstrate and talk about our public theology of the value of every life for all of life. And it's also, um, by the way, incredibly humbling to uh, to watch these athletes perform. And you have the opportunity to cheer for them if you live right there in the Twin Cities. So I want to encourage you to do that. All right. And then one one quick thing before we go um, to a break. Over the weekend, I read um, this tweet. Now, this tweet I then reread by putting by inserting a blank um, where this person is making a judgment about a particular date in a particular event. So I want to read the tweet as it stands. And then I want us to consider um, putting a blank in that space and how this then becomes like the world in a tweet. So here's the original tweet. Repeating the truth about... January 6th is tedious, even exhausting, but the people lying about downplaying, defending and apologizing for it appear inexhaustible. So the choices are one, keep repeating the truth, shooting down lies and conspiracy theories, or two, conceding to them. Now I want to reread the tweet and insert other options for January 6th, because the reality is there are lies incessantly purveyed as truth in the culture today, and it's exhausting. So Repeating the truth about fill in the blank is tedious, even exhausting. But the people lying about fill in the blank, downplaying, defending, and apologizing for it appear inexhaustible. So the choices are keep repeating the truth, shooting down lies and conspiracy theories, or conceding to them. Well, as people of truth, we can't concede to the lie, no matter what it is. We are people of truth, and we're going to keep speaking the truth and walking the truth out into the world that God so loves, and we're going to do so in ways that honor Jesus. This is Mornings with Carmen, and I'm back. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket There's a fiddle ready for love. I can jump over the moon of above. There's a fiddle and ready for love. <laughs> so you might be wondering why Paul selected. Yeah, why did I? That. Why did I? Because I'm because I've, I've been at a fitness camp. <laughs> and so now you think I'm jumping over what? What am I jumping over in that song? The moon up above. Oh, I'm oh wow. Well, as a fiddle and ready okay. for love, I could jump over the moon oh, up fit above. As a fiddle and yes. ready for love. What exactly does it mean to be fit as a fiddle? Do you have any idea? Ah, uh, no well, you know, uh, if you have a fiddle well tuned, it plays well. You know. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, so our first guest this morning was going to talk about um, how our lives are attuned to Christ. Nice, Paul. Nice job there. Um, but he's not joining us, and so that means we are going to catch up with Carmen, right? Because I'm always ready to talk. <laughs> about the headline news of the day, even if doing so all by myself. All right, so debate continues in the Roman Catholic Church over communion rights for politicians, let's say, like the U.S. president, um, who who support abortion. So I think that this conversation for Christians in the culture today can be a conversation about um, certainly the meaning of communion. Uh, the Vatican is actually going to spend time now working on a new doctrinal statement in regards to the, the Eucharist the, for communion. Um, but I think that for each of us and all of us, it's an opportunity to consider the body of Christ, to consider the Last Supper, to consider not only the meaning in history of that event, but the meaning for us as we partake um, of the bread and the wine, the cup and, uh, you know, the, the host 
when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together in our congregational context. And so it's a good opportunity to have that conversation. It's also a really good opportunity to talk about the necessity of moral coherence in your personal and your public life. So one simple word for this would be integrity. Is there obvious integrity between your personal life, what you say you believe about things, and your public life, the way you are walking your faith out in the world in front of other people? So is there moral coherence between your private and your public life? Good opportunity to have that conversation gets the focus away from, you know, that guy doing that thing that's inconsistent with what he says he believes. And instead, asking the question of ourselves, are there places in my own life or actually where are the places in my own life where my there, there is an incoherence, there is a disintegration between my public life and what I say I believe privately um, or personally in terms of the faith. Big headlines um, from the Justice Department, and you're going to hear this headline um, in a number of places, and you're going to hear it cate- uh, or hmm, described in myriad ways. So just prepare yourself for this. So the Justice Department is voicing very strong opposition to two state actions, one in West Virginia and the other in Arkansas, that ban um, uh, transgender uh, surgery in one case. In Arkansas, there's a ban on healthcare professionals performing gender trans- transition procedures on people who are very young, anyone under 18. Now, to me, that seems completely reasonable. To the Justice Department, the current Justice Department, that seems completely unreasonable. In, in West Virginia, um, the, the law is a prohibition of people who are biologically male, who are presenting at sports events as females. And West Virginia says, nope, uh, we are going to prohibit these transgender girls from participating in girls' sports. And the U.S. Justice Department is saying, nope, that's discrimination. That's targeting, and you can't do that. So this is going to be an ongoing conversation. And um, and as a part of that, I think it's important to recognize that the Equality Act um, has stalled in the Senate. So it passed the House overwhelmingly, but it has stalled in the Senate. And, you know, I would lift that up as 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 good news and i know that's hard to hear because the equality act sure does sound on the face of it like something that everyone should be supportive of the challenge is that it it gets us all to participate in a lie the lie being that someone who is biologically male is now because they declare themselves to be so a female and so that gets back to the earlier conversation um, about whether or not we're going to keep speaking the truth, even though those who are pressing for a lie do so in a way that is inexhaustible. All right, let's take another brief break, and then we will continue with some commentary on the headline news of the day. It's summertime, summertime, some, some, summertime, 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 summertime. All right. Good morning. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I have missed you. Um, Paul, did you yes. guys already talk about the guy that was swallowed by the whole? No, we did not. What? We did not. You better t- let people know we did not talk about it. 
Okay, so um, this is a pretty extraordinary story, and I thought for sure I wasn't going to get the opportunity to um, uh, to to talk about it. And so now, of course, I have to I have to like Google it super quick. Okay, so six days ago, Live Science reported that a humpback whale swallowed a lobster diver and held it in its mouth for like thirty seconds before spitting him out. Okay, so here are uh, the quick details. In Cape Cod, a lobster diver, which that's kind of a cool job if you think about it, um, was swallowed by a humpback whale. They describe it as a highly unusual event, uh, but one that experts say uh, is, you know, like not apparently all that surprising if you're swimming in waters where humpback whales are, um, you know, feasting. Man is not a whale's normal food, but Michael Packard was about uh, 14 meters or 45 feet deep off the coastal waters of Provincetown, Massachusetts on Friday, June the 11th, when he was suddenly gulped inside the mouth of an enormous marine animal. Yeah, he says, all of a sudden I felt this huge bump and then everything went dark. Just imagine that for just a moment. Of course, you know. I mean, if you've read the Bible, then you know where I'm going with this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to Jonah here. I'm going to Jonah here. So he says, I first thought I had been attacked by a shark. There are great whites in the area. He soon realized, well, I don't feel any teeth. And so I realized, and this is the part that for me, I want to highlight. What would be your first, the first three words? What's the first phrase when you realize Something like this has happened to you. Paul, what do you think the, what do you think the declaration is? Oh, my goodness would be kind of there light, you go. but there you go. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I just want to acknowledge that people of faith and, frankly, people of no faith, people who say they don't have any faith, the first thing that they declare when they see something extraordinary, both positively or negatively, the first three words out of their mouths Oh, my God. Or the first three words through their head, because I'm assuming that when you are in a whale's mouth, you're not opening your own mouth, probably. Well, you probably he's got a breathing apparatus in. All right. So here's what he says. Oh, my God, I'm in a whale's mouth and he's trying to swallow me. So immediately. So immediately my mind goes to Jonah and the experience of Jonah, who is swallowed by a whale. And spend some time there. Now, this guy only spends 30 seconds uh, in the whale's mouth uh, before it, frankly, vomits him up, right? Spits him back out. Um, Jonah spent a little more time than that in the belly of a whale. But here's the reality, right? So um, it says here at the end of, uh, of this article on life science, there's really only one whale that would be capable of swallowing an entire human being. And that's a sperm whale. There you go. So there is a whale out there, um, a sperm whale. A sperm whale has four stomachs. And uh, there you go. You could be swallowed whole by a sperm whale. Now, it's not likely to happen, but there you go. It is possible. And so I'm always one of those people who, when I read a headline and it brings a Bible story to mind, I'm like, "We we should lift that up. We should talk about that. And it should give us 
pause and even uh, an opportunity to bring God into a conversation of the day. So there you go. My most entertaining headline, especially because, you know, it does have a happy ending. You say to yourself, well, how about Jonah? Does that one have a happy ending? Well, Jonah was trying to avoid the call of God in his life. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Well, because he didn't think the Ninevites deserved God's grace. He wanted to see the Ninevites utterly destroyed. And you can understand that. You can understand why Jonah would want to see the Ninevites destroyed. They had been horrible, not only to God, but to God's people. And so Jonah wanted to see the wrath of God poured out on the people of Nineveh. But God wants to pour out grace. God wants people to know him. God wants people to turn to him. God wants people to be forgiven. And so Jonah seeks to run away from God's call and command to go preach basically the good news of the gospel in his day to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah's like, Mm-mm, I'm going the other direction. And then there's this, this whole throwing Jonah overboard and getting swallowed by the whale and spending some time there and being vomited up on a beach. And then God's like, okay, going to go to Nineveh now? Yep, going to go to Nineveh now. And the people of Nineveh respond, and it is really a a pretty incredible story of God's grace. It's also a story to which Jesus refers um, in his own life and ministry. And so want to encourage you to maybe check in on the book of Jonah if you haven't read it recently, since there's a headline out there, uh, out of Cape Cod, uh, which is, you know, frankly, a whale of a tail. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's my little humor for this morning. Uh, I know, right? I know. I try. I try. Um, here you go. One more, one more headline before we, we jump to a break. Um, so the IRS is not going to be granting 501c3 status to a Christian ministry. Um, this one is based in Texas. The Christian ministry is called Christians Engaged. It is a Christian nonprofit organization, um, and it exists to educate and empower everyday Christians to pray for our nation elected officials to vote and be um, civically engaged. And in May, um, the IRS denied this organization's application to be recognized as a 501c3, a tax-exempt nonprofit. Why? Well, because the, because, quote, believers on national issues that are central uh, to their belief in the Bible uh, as the inerrant word of God Uh, Things like the sanctity of life or the definition of marriage, biblical justice, freedom of speech, on and on and on, um, was was found to be political as opposed to religious. So we've reached this point, I think, in our um, public conversation as a nation where there are going to be an increasing number of conversations like this. Is what we're doing distinctively Christian um, in such a way that... It influences a Christian's engagement in in public life, in the politics of the day, or is there such a um, confluence, merging of, um, entanglement of our faith and our politics that we make it difficult for even something like the IRS to figure out which one we are? So I just think that that's important to recognize, and maybe some of these things um, need to not be done as nonprofit organizations. And we just need to recognize that if we want to support that, we need to support it without the benefit of some sort of tax deduction, without the government's, what they would recognize as the government supporting it through tax deductibility. So that's an ongoing conversation in the nation and one you're probably going to hear about um, as we talk about 
the way things are changing in the culture today. All right, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to take a quick break with Greg Laurie for Knowing God. got some Supreme Court headlines to discuss as well as um, action by the Biden administration in relationship to religious schools. Um, so I'm going to talk with those about those headlines with Daniel Bennett up next. He and I are also going to have a conversation about where is the focus of our cultural engagement? Is my focus on uh, heaven? Is my focus on hell? Is my focus on something in between? All those conversations up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When kids reach the preteen years, they're not the only ones who need to get ready to grow up. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Adolescence is a critical time of growth for kids, of course, but mom and dads can also expect to do a little learning and changing as well. When we get stuck in our ways and keep parenting our kids like we did when they were younger, we're guaranteed to make a mess of things. What worked with our daughters when they were four or five isn't going to work now. Mom, dad. Is your child approaching the preteen years? Well, then get ready now and plan to change your style when necessary. Be willing to grow up right alongside your teen. Parenting teens isn't for the faint of heart, which is why moms and dads turn to parenting expert Mark Gregston for help. Learn about Mark's upcoming events and check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Welcoming Daniel Bennett back to the program. He joins us from time to time from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. You can check it all out at danielbennett.substack.com. Daniel, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. So on Friday, um, which I missed the conversation because I was on vacation, So, uh, but Peter Kapsner had a conversation on Friday with Adam Carrington about the Supreme Court decision in the Fulton versus Philadelphia case. And I think it's so important that um, maybe it's worth hearing twice for people who heard that conversation. Um, tell us what that case is about and how the court ruled and why you think it matters. So the details of the case were the city of Philadelphia canceled uh, contracts with Catholic social services in Philadelphia uh, because of Catholic social services position that they would not uh, place uh, foster children with same-sex couples. They would refer uh, those couples that came to them uh, to other agencies, but they would not place uh, children with those same-sex couples. Um, they uh, filed a lawsuit alleging essentially religious discrimination under the First Amendment. And uh, the Supreme Court, after <laughs> over seven months of writing, uh, which is very, very long uh, for these decisions, uh, came down with a unanimous decision in favor of Catholic Social Services, saying that the city uh, had not uh, justified its uh, refusal uh, to uh, contract with Catholic Social Services uh, consistent with the First Amendment. It was a odd decision in the sense that it was unanimous, nine to zero, but uh, it was also somewhat limited. Okay, and when you say that, so this, the scope of this decision did things, but it also didn't do things. What did this not do? 
So if you remember back to Masterpiece Cake Shop back in 2018 Mm -hmm. uh, with Jack Phillips, that was an important Mm -hmm. case. But it was also kind of a procedural case because the bulk of that decision from Anthony Kennedy really focused on the city council or the uh, the administrative ruling uh, that didn't give Jack Phillips religious views uh, the legitimacy that they deserved. And this case is somewhat similar in that it didn't strike down the the possibility of the city of Philadelphia's uh, policy. It struck down the fact that the, the policy was applied inconsistently. And whenever you do that, when it comes to a civil liberty like the First Amendment's free exercise, uh, you're going to get smacked down by the court. Um, And so that's why I think you had a 9-0 decision, including the court's three liberal justices, uh, Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, and Stephen Breyer. They signed on to this decision and said, yeah, Philadelphia, you can't do that. I think if it was a more substantive decision about whether religious freedom claims will always trump same-sex marriage uh, rights and LGBT rights, uh, you wouldn't see this nine to zero. So it was a little bit of both. All right, Daniel, since you brought up um, Jack Phillips, I have an update. Um, For those people who don't know, Jack, who is a Colorado baker, which Daniel's just reminded us was the subject of a 2018 Supreme Court case for refusing to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding, Um, a Denver district court has now found that he has violated state discrimination laws um, for failing to bake a cake for a person who presented as trans. And so um, Jack Phillips is back in the spotlight. And my guess is this will this particular case will now um, be making its way up through the process as well. So, um, you know, frankly, it's that that part of this is a little bit exhausting. Yeah, and Charles Cook had a good essay in the National Review recently about uh, the attorney at the center of this case. Uh, the attorney's just been single-mindedly focused on Jack Phillips, essentially trying to trying to f- catch him in some sort of uh, trap th- that would lead to another uh, major legal dispute. Um, so it, it is frustrating. I can imagine if you're Jack Phillips, who, you know, he, the courts he's found totally that totally regular yeah. guy, like he's yeah, the most regular right. guy. And, yeah. And his views are, you know, consistent, you know, he won't make a cake for a same sex wedding, but he'll obviously sell anything to anyone who comes in. You know, he doesn't make cake with alcohol. And I mean, it's very consistent. And so that's, what's frustrating about all this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's do the Title IX religious schools conversation and the Biden administration. Um, there's this thing called the REAP lawsuit. And so tell mm-hmm. us what that is and what's at stake. So REAP is the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. And uh, earlier this year, uh, the uh, the project uh, essentially filed a class action lawsuit against the Department of Education uh, that would uh, that was asking the department to reconsider the tax exempt status uh, for essentially religious colleges that had uh, positions on same sex uh, relationships and gender identity, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, a lot of a lot of observers thought, well, this case actually won't go anywhere because these exemptions are pretty well, you know, in, in, or, uh, enshrined in the law. Um, but recently, the Biden administration took a step that seemed to give the lawsuit more 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 life, more breath. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens now. 
All right, and then you and I both had an opportunity to read a piece from um, Samuel James uh, in his Substack, and it's entitled "Our Cultural Engagement, uh, you know, needs more heaven." I loved this. I just loved this approach and this conversation. Um, I, I, let's open with this: If you try to speak Christianly to a secular society without thinking, talking, or feeling much about heaven, you won't speak very, uh, very long. I think you also won't speak very well. I think would be one way to say that. What is um, what's he? What's the itch he's trying to scratch here? Because I think he makes some really good points. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I love Samuel as a writer. Uh, he he has a terrific uh, Substack. You can search that online. Samuel James is his name, but uh, he writes a lot of what I would like to write, only better. So <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I shared it with you. Um, but yeah, I think he's just itching at this fact that Christians should be engaged in our culture. And, and again, I, I think the, the term engagement is just so overused in, in many contexts. But Samuel hits the nail on the head that we are to be engaged and in, in affecting our culture and politics and society. But we have to do that with, with an eye toward our citizenship in heaven. We have to do that in a way that disting, distinguishes us as Christians from the rest of the world that doesn't have that hope so that we can show that hope uh, to people who don't have it. And I think it's a really difficult uh, line to walk, uh, especially when these, you know, difficult and and, uh, really important battles are seemingly being waged. But I did, I think you're right. I think you said he scratched that itch really, really effectively, reminding Christians that we ought to be focused on eternity and, and in heaven and, and what comes with that rather than just on winning battles or being winsome. So, Daniel, I think that turning our focus um, personally in that direction is a necessary first step. I can't turn a conversation in the here and now to things beyond the here and now. If I haven't spent time, um, you know, in those quiet spaces, if I haven't spent time yearning for, reflecting on, genuinely, like, hungering and thirsting for righteousness and recognizing that it's that all comes from one person in one place. And, you know, it's it's it is having an eternity, an eternity focused or an eternity based focus every moment that is essential. And I think that a lot of Christians aren't, a lot of Christians aren't operating in that space. Yeah. And you know, there's some, there's, you know, occasionally a survey or a Pew study showing that a certain percentage of self-identified Christians, you know, don't don't read the Bible, don't pray. It's more of a cultural thing. And, you know, goodness, I think we can all be better at <laughs> at dwelling in the word. Um, but Samuel, I think you're exactly right what he says, that this is a very intentional, difficult process uh, of seeking the grace of God daily, lamenting when we have fallen and lamenting our situation around us and calling out to God and seeking that uh, that mercy that comes through Jesus. Uh, but but like anything else, right, if you are dwelling in the word and you are seeking and you are praying constantly, you know, you're ceaselessly praying, that's going to affect your attitudes and your mentality regardless of what you're doing, right? Whether with you're driving in your car, when you're playing with your kids, uh, or when you are uh, engaging politics at a high level, when you're writing things about politics and making arguments about politics and society and these major battles. Um, so it's going to affect you. 
Uh, and I think Samuel was Samuel's piece was just a really excellent reminder of, of the need for Christians to do that, to be different. All right. So when Daniel Bennett and I return to this conversation in just a moment, we're going to um, we're going to go ahead and unpack the three points that um, that Samuel makes in his piece. Since Samuel's not here and Daniel is, Daniel is going to unpack for us uh, the three points that Samuel James makes on this heaven focused cultural engagement. I think it's so good. And I think it's where it's the direction we all need to be moving toward. Um, if we're going to be people who are praying in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to actually not only know what the principles of the kingdom of heaven are, we have to be the people who bring the principles of heaven to bear on the earth right now. And we do that through social and cultural engagement. So more with Daniel Bennett in just a moment. We need a strong God. We need the real God. The God with the resurrection power from the grave. Continuing my conversation with Daniel Bennett. Right now we're talking about a piece posted by Samuel James on his Substack. It's it's about cultural engagement and how our cultural engagement really must be more heaven-focused. And he is drawing us into a conversation about how we bear witness as believers in in the context of a secular world where people have a heavenless worldview. So if I'm talking with a person who has a heavenless worldview, if I recognize that I'm operating in a system that has a heavenless worldview, then how do I, as a believer, as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, as a person who not only believes in heaven, but knows what the principles of the kingdom of heaven are, because I have read the word of God and I have heard the testimony of Jesus Christ about what the kingdom is and what it's like. Um, How then do I live? So um, Daniel, let's talk about the three points that he makes here about our doctrine of heaven. Right. So I guess if we're going through the article, uh, the first point that Samuel makes is that uh, this this, uh, eschatologically informed uh, view of engagement should focus on the fact that uh, we can have confidence uh, to lead in our cultural engagement, um, gives ultimate meaning to our public witness is what he writes. And so uh, as we engage the culture and as we uh, as we talk with others and attempt to share our views and, you know, have those views wrestled with in a world that doesn't necessarily recognize them, um, we can be confident in that engagement, knowing that the ultimate battle, the major the 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 eternal battle has been won. Now, that doesn't mean we just let our guards down and do this half-heartedly. We can do so with an incredible amount of confidence that comes with that security that we have. It doesn't mean dismissing those who don't share our views. It doesn't mean just saying, oh, you know, y'all are going to burn, right? Um, But there is a huge hope that comes with that, uh, that comes with that engagement and informs how we interact with a broken world. That's the first point. Right. So although we take the headline news. I mean, this is a part of what we're doing on the program, right? We take the headline news of the day, we bring the mind of Christ to bear, and we talk about how we're going to then walk our faith out into the world. Um, I think that one of the things that Samuel is saying here is we can't let the headlines of the day or the people who are choosing the headlines of the day, we can't let them set the agenda for our cultural engagement. We have to recognize that um, we can't be reduced every day to those conversations. We have to be the people who are able to step back, see the bigger picture, see the eternal reality, and then engage, 
not just at, yeah. the, at whatever level the journalist of the day is lifting up the hottest topic, but right. as people who recognize that, you know, the, the gospel arc is over all of human history, mm-hmm. not just over this nanosecond in time. And I think that's right, especially when it comes to uh, being uh, proactive rather than reactive, right? Mm. So there is a tendency to just wait for the latest story or conflict to develop and then respond accordingly. Um, And, you know, in some cases that's going to be inevitable, right? But uh, there is this sense of confidence that comes with a proactive engagement where we know the outcome, right? We know how this is going to end. And so Mm -hmm. that should inform the way that we communicate and engage with our culture. Yeah, less panicky, right? Yes, absolutely. I can be less panicky because I I actually know the story. I know who well, wins. It's already won. Yeah. Like I yeah, that's the confidence yes, exactly. component you're pointing at. That's exactly right. And this actually leads really well into the second point that he's talking about, which is if we do have this confidence, right, then we can actually it, we can confidently love others well. Right. Mm-hmm. We know how this ends. I think I've said that a few times already, but that's such an important mm-hmm. thing to remember when we're talking about these really difficult questions. We know how it ends. And so mm-hmm. we can love others well and authentically and genuinely and generously. Uh, and, and so often, you know, that's missing from just public engagement in general, but also among, you know, Christians. We're, we're hesitant to love well uh, because we see that maybe as a sign of surrender or, you know, ceding certain things to people. Um, And this isn't everyone, obviously, but I think we could all do this better. And Samuel encourages us to say that, yeah, we can do this. We can love others well in our engagement uh, and making our arguments in that or through that lens that uh, we are we are making these arguments because of the love that we've inherited. And now we're trying to essentially uh, give to the world. And then I love point number three, our doctrine of heaven, uh, of heaven helps us rest well. That's that sort of peace mm. that passes all understanding, right? That content yes. in, in all circumstances. And this rest makes us strangely appealing to a restless world. I think this is key. Yeah, think about, you know, for your listeners who are really active on social media or who are, uh, you know, just even following the news. It's a 24-hour news cycle, right? Uh, there's always something going on. There's always an outrage. There's always uh, a conflict uh, brewing. Uh, and, and for Christians, the temptation is to really get down in the mud and engage and sling back and forth. Um, but we can be restful. We can exhibit that rest that comes from knowing uh, where our eternity lies and where our confidence is. Now, I don't think Samuel would say that this gives us an attitude of, uh, you know, uh, hands off, because uh, you, you see this among, you know, certain Christian traditions saying, nah, we're just going to abandon the world uh, because we know how this ends for us. So we're just going to go off and do our own thing. And they might say, well, that's kind of weird. What are they doing? Um, I don't think that's what Samuel is saying. It's just that um, he's he's urging Christians to, and I remember this is a call back to my time in, in youth group, so forgive me, uh, keep the main thing the main thing, right? Mm-hmm. We remember what's ultimately important. And for a world that's constantly uh, tied up in conflict, in battles, and the, and the, and the outrage of the day, they're going to look to hopefully look to Christians and say, <laughs> where is that Where is that comfort and that rest and that peace coming from, Right. Because uh, this is so unlike what we're used to. I had a, um, a 
unusual encounter during vacation with um, with a woman whose profession um, is abortion. And and obviously that is about as far from what I could imagine doing day in and day out as a profession. Uh, I, I just could hardly imagine something that would be further from um what would be joy giving and certainly life giving. Um, and after being with her for a couple of days, it was interesting. She turned at one point and just said, I, I need to know what makes you so kind. Hmm. And, yeah. you know, to that, to that point, I had not, you know, it was not, we are not in an appropriate setting where it was, you know, I'm going to be sharing the gospel with this person in words, but I was sharing the gospel in terms of, demonstrating what it looks like to live a life of joyful sacrifice for others and diligence and those kinds of things. And I do think we win a witness with the world by the way we live. Yes. And again, I think, I think uh, Samuel would, would uh, <laughs> feel like I'm putting words in his mouth here, but yeah, this isn't, he's not this, here. This he's going to have to show up and defend himself. That's right. <laughs> no, he, you know, th- there is this temptation then to just say, well, you know, be kind to others. And, mm. you know, I think there's there's a pejorative use of winsomeness, I think. I don't think he's saying that. And I don't think that's what you were saying either. Um, but there is this there is this uh, it's going to lead to a puzzling response. Right. What is mm-hmm. why Absolutely. are you so kind? What? Why, why, why where is this so hope kind? coming from? Where is this hope yeah. coming from? Well, and particularly, you know, I think she was surprised that an evangelical Christian was willing to talk with her and walk <laughs> with her and love her and appreciate her, even though, right? Right. In, in right. spite of, or however you want to think about that. Yeah. Hey, yep. Daniel, it's always a joy to talk with you. I know you are working on um, a number of things yourself. Daniel's Substack is great as well. His blog is excellent. Check it out. Daniel Bennett, two N's, two T's, danielbennett.substack.com. We always appreciate you, Daniel. Thanks, Carmen. Thank you. We'll be right back. Um, All right. So Father's Day. I want to make a quick Father's Day comment before the close of the hour today. Um, If you haven't seen it or read about it already, Joe Duncan is a dad in Missouri and his uh, wife, Susan, took a picture of him sound asleep on the floor of the ER with his head on the car seat of their, you know, small child who was in the ER. This is the, the story goes back a couple of months, but the testimony is really enduring. He's a concrete worker. He'd come off a 12-hour shift. He'd been working 12-hour shifts six days a week for months. She's a teacher. They've got two kids. Um, the littlest was sick, and he didn't want her to go to the hospital you know, just with the the baby by herself. And so he went along and literally is like on the concrete floor of the ER, sound asleep. And it's a testimony, not only just about being a dad, but it's a testimony about being together in marriage, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking everybody else and being faithful, not just to your spouse, but to the family that God brings into this world through you. So let's be a Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.